what genres can't 5e handle oh man because we're about to twist 5e like a hot soft pretzel oh man okay okay so we've made this this metaphor before which i greatly enjoy is that 5e is mario and then yes. mario can stretch into anyone that plays mario kart so like mario can be bowser mario can be yoshi mario can be wario but like mario can't stretch into like captain falcon like that's a little too far that's a little too much and so i think 5e can stretch in so many different ways into horror into mystery um into uh you know mass combat all you know into naval warfare and it can do so well enough but I think there are people who are trying to make 5e into things it can't be. And you, mm-hmm. you'll see, you know, posts on Reddit of people being like, I made these hyper-advanced uh, com- mass combat naval rules for 5e. And it reaches a point where you go, bro, you you should not be playing 5e anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not 5e. So I think, I think it can stretch in every which way, um, but it reaches a, a breaking point um in different genres so this is a very interesting question because mm. there's obviously a debate in and of itself of how far 5e can stretch um right so i, th- I think wizards of the ghost is great that it can stretch in every which way a little bit but if you if you take a genre and really stretch 5e out enough it, you you reach a point where you should be using a more specific system dang that is a powerful thesis I was thinking. Welcome um, to my TED talk. <laughs> it's the uh, box talk. So, as far as talking about how far 5e can stretch into another system, um, my example, oddly enough, is Star Wars. A while ago, someone huh. on Reddit made a full conversion of 5e to Star Wars and, like, then laid it out <laughs> to look like an official 5e product. You know how people do that? Oh, yeah, I used the flavor. Yeah. And I, I read it, and I thought it was a tremendous effort, a great work. But I, the whole time I'm thinking, it's the flavor of the system of 5e is going to be just off for, um, for Star Wars because Force powers are not the same as 5e magic. No. And, and no. It, they're supposed to be way more limited, and there's also like this cause and effect thing of like light well, side, dark Luke side. Well, Luke doesn't have spell slots. That's, yeah, That's the thing. Like, it's a fundamentally different uh, vibe. Yeah. Um, and... and like I said, if if you've played that game or maybe you're the person who made that game, I got nothing but respect for that. But seriously, that was so much work they did. And I thought, well, you should have just used a different system. Yeah. I think at a yeah. certain point, like once you get into just like going into a different like flavor of genre. So like science fiction or yeah. like even like Western, like converting mm-hmm. a... Like a fantasy based system isn't your best bet. And it's almost better to try to find something that's native to what you want to play. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a fifth level spell slot to disarm you with my pistol. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a, uh, and, and it's tough because 5e can stretch, you know, to mm-hmm. include a gunslinger in 5e, but that doesn't mean it fits the Western genre enough for you to justify making that so yeah it's it's tough and and the main problem is just 5e is so 
dang popular. I mean, no. I would I well, I did a Twitter poll and it was over 90% of our audience plays 5e. Yes. So I think um I don't, I don't want to say like I think I think I want to challenge like your question instead of um, saying like what genre can't 5e do. It's um, what type of game 5e can't be. And it's so 5e is a like a heroic fantasy type of game. So like those are all of the stories that you can emulate. And there are there are heroic fantasies in pretty much every genre. So like science fiction or um you know, Western or whatever. And 5e could like be molded into that genre of heroic fantasy, but it can only tell a heroic fantasy story in those genres. It can't go beyond those types of stories or games. Yeah. Not without so much work that it just, it becomes a different system. Destroys what 5e is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Oh, and it's, it's a trap. A lot of people fall into just because the, downright popularity of 5e i know a lot of people who are um uh, they create stuff for um drive through rpg and you know are, are making uh modules and stuff and they're just like we have no other option but 5e if we want to make any money at all yep yeah because that's the thing that's most supported that's kind of a problem in itself i think is that um i mean there's there's so many scores of rpg games out there that never attract more than like the five people who ever play it which is the game designer and their group of players um but Mm -hmm. let's say i'm making um there's one game that comes to mind called uh laser guns and feelings it's made by the same guy who did blades in the dark it's a one page i believe the rule set fits entirely on one single one-sided page uh, eight and a half by eleven and um, it is kind of a Flash Gordon game, but also heavy on romance. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. Yeah, super strange dichotomy of, uh, of mechanics. Um, but if you wanted to do that in 5e, you've got to do... It's almost like you're stripping down a car to a point where you should have just bought a different car. Exi- yeah. And yeah. I've given it, that... It cost more before. money to change this car into the car you wanted instead of buying a different model. Yeah. What a, what a what a strange uh, ending we arrived at, guys. 5e is amazing, and I still play it every week. But there well, are other games out there. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's strip apart this car. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 61, Mystery and Intrigue. All right. Oh, Ooh, spooky. As we mentioned in the banter of the show, D&D seems to have infinite flexibility, but I think that the game is best if it centers around some pillars, if you will. And um, I think in this episode, we're going to be adding or emphasizing new pillars. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so the three of 5e's official thing are combat... Uh, exploration and I can't remember if it's interaction it's or social role play. social uh, social interaction yeah yeah role playing which is it's a so maybe we are just tweaking because I feel like we're gonna have all three of those but from the angle of uh, mystery and intrigue um, so Definitely. anyway to my point D and D is a system that does very well at killing monsters you've got all kinds of stats for weapon damage armor um, and so on. 
And you have some limited um, role-playing stats, which is fine because the game's role-play is handled mostly by just doing it. You don't need a system to tell you how to do that. So where would survival horror fit uh, as a pillar of gameplay? Survival Survival horror... horror I mean, if, it, if it blends a lot of these. I, I think the important, really looking at these, all of these blend together, especially if you're a good dungeon master. You should be blending exploration with combat, with social encounters, and it should blend together. And so survival horror, even in the name, is blending two kind of genres in and of itself. Um, That's true. Of like the, the survivor genre of just trying to stay alive and the horror genre of spooky jump scares and all this stuff. Um and so that blends into it. And so adding uh, mystery to these things just makes every pillar stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because all these things blend together in such a way to, to build a foundation of what kind of game you're playing and the tone you want and everything. Um, that adding mystery, intrigue, all of that stuff makes the game better. Um, and I think mystery and intrigue are two things that are not mentioned as much in the uh the dungeon master's guide they aren't um leaned heavily on in most of the you know traditional 5e uh modules um besides maybe dragon heist um and so leaning on them really can add an element to your game that you wouldn't find uh, otherwise um so mystery as far as defining it what are we defining mystery as Agatha Christie? (laughs) Mystery to me is really like looking broadly, stepping back. It's like mystery is not holding the player's hands. Um, Mm. And it's really showing and not telling. Um, Which is something that really you learn from the beginning of being a dungeon master. Because it's so much easier to tell and not show. Right, because you're literally mm-hmm. using your words to describe situations. Right, you don't have a cinematographer with a camera to your right. Like you're not directing a scene in a way that you can control the camera angle. You literally have your vocal words to, to describe a scene. And so the show not tell aspect is a super important part of mystery. Um, and you have to lean into the show as you're telling if that makes sense mm-hmm. um like you can't you you have to say like okay so you walk into town and there's an old dusty saloon doors still swinging um you see the sheriff um mounting his horse you know all these things are uh, intricate details that add to the scene but it's much easier to just tell and say you know, kind of like a Western like town, like a like you know Bonanza or whatever. <laughs> like Bonanza. <laughs> wow, how old are you, Jake? Right. You, you know, it's much better to be like you know John Wayne. Just you know, you're walking into like a Western type town, and that that oftentimes, I mean, dungeon masters have to use that kind of um, shortcut trick to kind of get the vibe very quickly. Um, but I think part of mystery and intrigue is not doing that is pumping the brakes with being like, okay, this is the genre, this is the deal, these are the tropes. Um, and that's something that is almost second nature to DMs, just to to be able to quickly convey information. And it's almost like you have to not do that to provide mystery and intrigue. The more we talk about this, I think I have a better idea of what this is. And I think a lot of it comes down to um, like information telling techniques. Mm-hmm. or storytelling techniques and i think mystery is the opposite of like exposition 
Hmm. So on one end, you have just like telling the players everything about the world. And on the other hand, you have just like totally, total mystery. They know absolutely nothing about the world. What's my name? It's like a a spectrum on which you can shift. And the more, the less that you tell the players and the more they have to find out, like the more mystery inherently is like baked in. But I think that the, the crucial thing is that the information that you have to, the information that you give is information that the players should want to find interesting essential it's essential information too yeah like you can't play the game without it that's really true um building on that point i think it's not enough to say that mysteries will exist whether you put them there or not i think Mm -hmm. that having an interesting world that is worthy of exploration and asking questions Mm -hmm. of requires planning on the part of the dungeon master Definitely. Yeah, you can you can have a boring mystery just as much as you can have a boring <laughs> exposition on a world. It's just the it's the quality of information that you give. So I think that especially in mysteries, you need because you're giving so little, you need to make sure that the players are like hanging on the details that you're giving them and wanting to learn more. Definitely. I think the the player interest is very important, right? Like there are certain groups, um, and I know we always echo this on this podcast, but knowing your group, knowing what they want, do they want a mystery? Do they want intrigue? Because there are certain groups where, you know, something will happen. There's like, all right, who do I kill? You know, it's like, who's who's on the kill list? Who's on the wanted poster? You know, they're, they're not really into the details. Uh, whereas... Other groups will just walk into a town. They don't even know their own name. Um, and they see someone dead on the ground and someone comes out and goes, oh my God, who did this? And they're like, we're on it, ma'am. You know, like there's like different levels of players um, and what they want. And so, you know, we echo this all the time, but knowing your group, knowing your players, knowing your table um, and knowing if they want mystery and intrigue injected into it is is super important because if you inject mystery and intrigue into a game where people don't want it it just evaporates it just becomes nothing they, they don't care so you're saying that maybe there's a certain type of game that supports mystery writing more than others i, I don't want to say it's experience like i like deep down i'm kind of thinking like yeah more experienced players can handle more mystery and intrigue um correct me like like is that i don't know that's my hunch i don't think you're wrong because it's almost like the newer you are to D, the bigger and the more broader the strokes thing? need to be to get them to understand the game yeah and then if you got a person who's been playing for years like um, in, in my current game, I have players who are paying such close attention to the descriptions I offer. That you got to be careful. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. there's things that they'll, they'll quote me on. They're like, hey, like you said this. Yeah. I this remember has they to were wearing be true. a red hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing a blue hat now? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think that there's like a core element of mystery that needs to be added within every game. Otherwise, you don't like if your world is known like entirely, then there's it just seems like there's no reason yeah. to explore. Yes. So, it, it, like to fill that exploration pillar, like there does need to be some level of unknown or uncertainty mm-hmm. injected into your world. And I think that uh, 
like that even goes into like world building where you need to be able to leave things like up to be determined. I, I think David is right because I, I'm led to believe that like, oh yeah, only experienced players want intrigue and mystery and, you know, political um, stuff. But when you look at what people read, like, you know, think of the paperbacks that sell at the airport. Most of them are murder mystery novels. Um, and people really care about this stuff. And I mean, think about you guys have been to murder mystery parties, right? Like they're fantastic. They're delightful. Um, and so this stuff is kind of inherent in what humans desire in the story. So I don't know if my initial thing of like, oh, wait till they, you know, or have their hand held by the DM and slay their first baby dragon before we can show them an actual mystery. Like, I don't know if... I was right with my initial thought on that. Hmm. I just think it has to do with learning the language of the game and like what is expected of them. That's true. The language of the game, the tropes, the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's less of like, oh, you're dumb and you don't understand this game. It's sort of like, no, here's like all this fundamental stuff you have to learn before we can get to the advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Definitely. You like you got to know what an investigation check is before we can start doing Agatha Christie type stuff so <laughs> i true. mean if we're talking about 5e yeah <laughs> um i think building on these lines of um having a world worth exploring and having what i would call large and small mysteries um any entertainment property you watch or read or play through um like i'm thinking of the last of us which has very deep world building that is not revealed all at once um or no. let's say um Fallout New Vegas, or really, you name a game. Uh, what's that one on PS4? Horizon Zero Dawn with like oh, the mechanical. Yeah, animal? that's a slow burn world building reveal stuff. Yeah, it is. And so as you're playing, you're like, I want, I want to know more. And the game is Where kind of drip feeding from? you more yeah. revelations. Yeah. And um, as far as being a dungeon master goes, like, I think a lot of DMs get excited for the game because they're like, oh, in my world, I'm going to make it this way. I'm going to make it this thing this way, and I have all these cool ideas. Um, the problem that I see people fall into is the lore dump. Uh, Jake, are you familiar dude. with this concept? D- dude, did you do this on purpose? <laughs> do what? Uh, dude, I literally am starting my second campaign and I just sent my players a lore dump like an hour. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> How would I have known that? <laughs> No, like, and so, okay, so for everyone who doesn't know, like, I, I I did a campaign in a world for, like, five years, and it was delightful, and now I'm starting a new one from scratch, which is very weird for me, um, and so I'm building this world completely new, and so my players are just, like, itching, they're like, I want to know, you know, I want to play a monk, you know, what are your factions for a monk, you know, I want to play this, what are your factions for this, and I'm like, <sighs> and so, like, I'm... I, I did my first, you know, baby lore dump today. Um, and it, it's just very strange for me because I'm like, I feel this pressure of like, oh my gosh, like we're probably going to be in this world for the next two to three years of mm. our lives. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I doing it right? Is naming this thing Avun a good idea? Is it a bad idea? <laughs> like, oh no. And I'm getting all kind of psyched up because I'm, yeah, I'm working myself up into world building and um, especially because my players listened to this podcast, they heard the name Avun, which may be the name of a continent, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. And I feel like they're already halfway behind my screen. 
Um, to the point that, like, after every encounter, I'm like, yeah, that was crazy, you know, it does this much damage here, and I thought about doing this to you guys here, and I thought about this and this, um, and because you guys did this, I reacted with this that I homebrewed into this monster, and it feels like, like, it's very collaborative, but it's collaborative in a way that, like, they lose all the mystery. Like, the mm. artifice falls down, the veneer of fear falls down because they know almost the dynamics of what I'm thinking as I'm doing it, or even after I do it because I explained it to them. Um, mm -hmm. And so for this next world, you know, despite my, my small world uh, lore dump that I gave them, I'm trying to world build with this idea of mystery baked into it because mm -hmm. that's so hard for me. Because I want to explain, like, oh, yeah, this lake is called uh, Starfall Lake because a meteor hit in the middle of it. And then, you know, it, you know that's where they're, they're mining all of their uh, hardcore ore from the bottom of it. You know, like, I want to just dump everything because it's so fun. Like, it's delightful. I'm so excited about it that I want to reveal it. But part oh. of being a good dungeon master is you know, battering down the hatches and being like, okay, I have to save this because it will be a better reveal later. And I've been dealing with that hardcore right now in building a new world is because there's like world building is so full of mysteries, but like, I want to tell, I just, I want to tell everyone. <laughs> oh man. Okay. I've got some comments here. Oh, let's hear um, them, please. Wow. Where do I even begin with this? So <laughs> I guess the, it's not a comment. It's a question. Um, what do you prefer the, so when George Lucas wrote star Wars, he just had a bunch of like techno babble and throwaway references that oh, fans yeah. have since gone back in and filled like in literally every single him one. saying the clone wars spawned three movies. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a, what, two different series and a, yeah, a couple of yeah. video games. Like, yeah. um, so there's a kind of, in, what's the word here? Encyclopedium of people who desire to fill in the gaps that he he left yeah so would you do you prefer like saying something vague and then filling it in later but it, well I, I know the answer you prefer to not say one thing without knowing everything about it yeah it sounds like to me it, it does sound like that but but like i don't know when you look at like think of like critical role and like the critical role wikipedia like, it, it's not made by Matt Mercer. It's all mm. these people who are excitedly, like, ex delighted by his world. And so, yeah, I don't want to make my own wiki and then, you know, have my players discover stuff. And then I go, turn to page 245 of the Continent 3 <laughs> article. You know, like, I, I, I don't want that. Um, but at the same time, I want to be ready to answer questions they have about everything. Which, I mean, yeah. that's daunting in and of itself. <laughs> um, but I guess for me, the main thing is maintaining the mystery. And if they go, hey, what's this? I don't tell them. Outside, like, even metagaming. You're like, oh. When we did our sandbox episode, um, I gave some very specific instructions on, like, here's how to lay out this big open world. And um, from the, the book that I was drawing that from, uh, and actually the campaign I'm running has followed the same advice, is he says you detail all these locations and you only write a paragraph about each place and then as you need to go fill it in you're like oh like this is alligator lake 
Um, it's full of alligators and um, also dead bodies. Like you just leave some, like you know, it's got a hook. Yes. But you don't need to expand like, oh, the dead bodies are the remnants of the battlefield, and it's cursed, and the bodies never decay from three hundred thousand years ago. No, uh, no. Just leave it as it is, and then you can you have the flexibility. Um, there's a rule actually. So um, it, I I'll recommend this again if you have not read the Dungeon Master Advice section of the game Dungeon World. Oh, yeah. You need to go read it. I don't care if you never play it. Go read it. It's probably some so of the most good. concise and useful advice you'll ever read about just preparing any game. Um, and the the concept I want to remind us of is when you're building a world, they say build a world but leave gaps. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you could go in detail. Here's like the big city and here's the haunted swamp and here's alligator lakes, whatever. Um, but there's all kinds of places in your map. I think the rule is draw maps, leave blanks is the quote from the, the game. Yeah. And, and that is because your players are always going to have an idea of like, oh, well, what if I'm from a monastery that's like secret and like based out of the, the hills somewhere and they coexist with dwarves even though they're elves. Um, you're like, oh, yeah, let me put that in my map. Like, that's sick. Uh, so, yeah, just leaving those gaps and leaving creative room for yourself to improvise later instead of like encyclopedically listing, here's all 333 rivers and lakes that uh, populate the upper something. northeastern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like I... Yeah, you're you're definitely preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to hear it because, uh, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I've been and I, I've been getting I, better. I, I think I like, think. and I think that like like a world that is like already like predetermined versus like a world that um, that is like more driven on story in terms of like gameplay uh, are, is very different because you the the more story you want in your game the less defined you want your world to be because you need it to be flexible in terms of like the characters and like their actions and the world is almost like a it's like it, it can operate like as a mirror or a foil to like who the characters are and their identity huh. if you're writing a more story driven game deep. that's good and yeah. if you if you want to if you want a more gamey like simulation game like yeah you can have that all like pre-written out predetermined like and, and that's just more of like you're you're putting people in an area and seeing how like the world reacts to them so it depends upon the game you want as well if you want yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think that the two things i think that that are really important is like i don't know if i'm gonna give them a, a full world map with every continent on the globe uh sorry plane the world is flat oh or <laughs> I refuse to laugh at that joke. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, looking back at my world that, you know, I played with, you know, 30 people with um, over the course of five years, some of the best moments and some of the best factions and some of the best uh, locations came from the brains of not me, but my players. You know, a player who played with me in 2015 invented, you know, the Red Fist Monastery um, and another player, you know, years later, uh, came from that same monastery. And it's like, I didn't invent that. Like, my players did. And so, yeah, I'm in the process of, like, not having an encyclopedic knowledge of the world, but leaving open spaces that my players can fill. And that is, as much as my players are, you know, delighted by a lore dump, they'd probably be more delighted by... Hey, we're making this world together. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to present a lore dump that is um, 
intriguing in, in the sense of intrigue eliciting curiosity or interest in something like um like here is uh, the monastery but uh, the dwarves left it years ago and no one knows why yeah it's like great like i i'm interested i want to go explore that uh, that dwarven stronghold and it's fine if the dm monastery. doesn't know why at the beginning of the story yeah there's yeah. a idea in eberron um I was very surprised to learn this, where he detailed a lot of the different countries in this this map, this region, um, and there was a cataclysm that happened in one of the countries, and nobody knows why. It's like essentially a magic nuclear bomb went off. Um, but uh, I, I hope this is not spoilers, but I guess I'll say spoiler alert if you are a player in an Eberron campaign. <laughs> um, yeah, fast forward uh, 30 seconds. Um, the author, Keith Baker, deliberately has no answer for what caused this explosion to happen. And it's up to the DM to fill in that information oh, themselves. That's good. And yeah. Yeah. That, and, and that's and really fascinating. so unique among, especially, think like Wizards of the Coast, like like registered real worlds that are, you know, so tangible that other people are playing it. It's so rare because most of those worlds have wikis and every everything is answered. But to be mm-hmm. like, no, like this world is open. What happened? Ask yep. yourself. Yeah, like ask yeah, your ask, players. Like, this ask. is a secret that GM will develop, yeah. and you will have to discover it. You cannot read a wiki that will answer this question. Oh, yes, yes. Interesting. Very cool. That is delightful. Yeah, so I think I think we're getting to the point where it's almost like the we should be talking about the mystery box method, which we've, we've talked about many times before, but um, it's it's a, a pronounced like writing style pro, like uh, popularized by... J.J. Abrams, where mm-hmm. you introduce a lot of really interesting concepts, but you don't really flesh them out until later, or you leave them for other people to do. And I think that that concept really works well within the the genre of mystery with D and D, and just in D and D in general, because you want to have a world that's engaging and interesting, but then you also want to leave room for flexibility and for uh, character the, the players to want to discover mm-hmm. things that they want to discover yeah. and this this i think it, I, I will say this doesn't work good in movies a lot of times it sometimes works in television shows but it definitely works in D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true i think the mystery box technique is extremely useful especially for someone like jj abrams who just like, you need a shorthand for world building, you just ask a whole bunch of questions mm-hmm. but that you don't know the answers to, and you don't plan the answers to. And maybe this is the the meat of our episode right here: is uh, instead of saying "here is this and here's why," you just say, "Oh, why is this this way? Why is that this way?" Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who killed the elves? Who watches the Watchmen? You know, <laughs> dude. And, yeah. And then the players get to help you answer that. Oh, yeah. you guys so, are getting me so pumped. I literally was world building for like four hours today, and I was getting cool. to the point where I'm like, oh, like, uh, how much info do I give them? How much? Uh, like, now I'm like, oh, we're going to find out. And it might take six months. It might take two years, but we're going to find out. And I think, like, when you when you go about this, like, I think the easiest way to start, like, building a world is just start asking questions about like that you would have as a player, like when you're in it and just say, uh, like, yeah, what's, where, like, where do what I come from? Like, what, what would, would the peasant go? be confused what would a peasant about? Ask? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you could, and you could have so many different unique answers to that, to like, um, like what, what, what can constitutes an adventure, you know, in this world Yeah. or like what, what is, what are some like common dangers that people might face or like mm-hmm. what's different about the terrain here why has no one gone into this dungeon 
Yeah. Yeah. And you can ask so many different unique questions about a world and get so many unique answers. And those are like how you would definitely like how I would personally go about starting like a new world and just kind of having the basic information at my fingertips that the players would probably want to know mm -hmm. and that would probably uh, draw them into the world to start with. And then later on, I can start to define things. Dude, I'm pumped. I'm even more pumped, folks. Oh. Getting back to the lore dump that we mentioned, um, gosh, at least an hour and a half ago at this point. <laughs> uh, definitely not true. Um, I think there is a way to dump lore on players, as we were saying. But um, my advice is when you're world building, you're asking yourself questions and then answering some of them and hopefully leaving some for later exploration. But I think there's a tendency when you start your first game and you're having session zero or whatever, that you just want to tell players, here's all the secrets. Like, here's all the really cool things I've set up. Yeah, for you. look like, here. Oh, look, look magic here. carpets. Oh. Uh, magic carpets have their own civilization and, and you can go and like, write them. It's called Carpet City. And oh, Anyway. The Carpet <laughs> King. <laughs> The carpet king is powerful. I'm like getting out of my chair. I'm so excited about the flying carpet people. Um, but it's um, only answer the questions the players ask. And so while you're building your world and asking yourself questions, also ask yourself what kind of questions are the players going to ask, which is yeah. sort of like, where can we go to adventure? Where do I sell my stuff? What's the name of the tavern? Like really low level questions. Some of them, some of them are bigger. Like what's the name of the planet or the country or the continent, whatever. Yeah. Um, but only answer the questions they ask. Definitely. Because... Definitely. <sighs> yeah, this definitely came up in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, where certain levels, they would just be like, okay, I get it. It's a big swamp and we're trying to... But other other levels, they would they would keep asking questions about... You know, there, there's one specific um, level that, kind of minor spoiler, it takes place like on an asteroid, like overlooking the planet. Um, <laughs> and it's like they asked so many questions about that level. And I think you can gauge... I think I could gauge which levels were the best of, you know, the 20 plus levels of the Dungeon of the Mad Mage based on how many questions they asked per level. Because there wow. is a natural instinct to be like, okay, wait, what? Oh my gosh. You know, and there's a difference between, wait, so this thing's 90 degrees and we can go north or southwest. <laughs> you know, that's different than like people being, wait, so the crystal spins around when we do this? You know, that, those type of questions where they're really interested, not in like the, uh, uh, the visualization of the world, like in a gameplay sense, but in like the the background, the lore, the history, the uh, strangeness of the physical space, that is where you go, oh, we, we've got a great level on our hands. I mean, a great environment or a great world is, yeah, how many questions they ask. And I think it's, I very nearly started an Eberron campaign, which is uh, forever lost in the ether. They were supposed to play us... Um, like essentially Hogwarts students in um, I think it's called Mournhold Academy or Morgrave Academy and I set up this whole thing I built some subsystems for like grades and homework and party and time management <laughs> anyway it was out of we control. gotta play it it, it, it was <laughs> it was dead on the vine like it it was so much work I was doing um, and then one of the players was like uh, I don't want to be a student I want to be a teacher and I'm like oh, oh like I'm screwed I'm totally screwed um, anyway, but I was explaining the ideas behind Eberron to the players who were going to play. And I had, I was like screen sharing from my iPhone to my Apple TV, like in my living room and like saying, hey, like here's the map and here's like where you'll be living and playing the game. And one of my other players got up and he was very excited for Eberron. And he just starts saying, encyclopedically reciting, here's everything you need to know. Here are 
all of the the factions, the the corporations, essentially. Here's all the magic runes they use. Here's like, um, and it's it, it's a lot of information, and um, and I would never have presented it that way. Uh, yeah. Be- because there's a certain amount of info I think that the average person can take in, even if it's something they're excited about. It's still, there's still but, a limit. Yeah, because you can't prioritize what is or is not important mm-hmm. yet. Because you're just hearing like you're just washing no over context you. context yeah. to it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, who cares if the gnomes of Zilargo like are this or that? Hey, you take that like, back. Am I ever going to interact with them? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> but then like when the time comes and they're interacting with like these shady gnomes who are like uh, cross between the KGB and um, I guess the CIA, whatever you want, <laughs> then they'll start asking questions about them, and then you tell them about. The gnomes from Zilargo. Dude, okay, Not guys, before. I'm world building it's, right it's now, so I thing. literally wrote down gnomes of Zilargo in my sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that one's on us. <laughs> that one's from Eberron, so whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's literally from Eberron. Um, which brings me back to Jake's point. Like, show and don't tell. Like, you know, give them a little taster. Um, you say people are afraid of gnomes in this world, and that's all you give them. Let them go ask. And if they ask, then you'll tell them. But you don't need to give them a deluge of uh, stuff. So now that we talked about like show don't tell on a grand scale in regards to world building, let's talk about it on like a small scale, right? Because for mystery, show don't tell is super important. But like, you know, talking about it with world building helps so much. But think of it like even in a scene. Like, you know, you could um, – you could say it two ways. Like the first way is someone walks into a room in a, in a dungeon, right? Um, you say there's a stench of like a foul odor in the air that smells somewhat sweet. Um, you see this kind of blackish, reddish um, splatter on the wall. Um, you see someone crouched over in the corner. Um, as you walk in, you know, like all, all of these things are kind of like building up to a crime scene. Whereas you could... You know, it, it feels easier and it is easier to give the shortcut of like, you walk into a crime scene. <laughs> it's it's different, right? Like that is just, that is not telling, that, that's just being like, all right, here's what it is. Um, it's much better to give them all the clues and let them connect the dots because it's way different for them to say, to, to, to interact with something and go, oh, here's a crime scene. But they get delighted when they go, whoa, whoa, guys, guys, guys. This is a crime scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to use show, not tell um, in world building, but also in the, the, the little details um, of letting them unravel the mystery for themselves. There is um, something I've learned in running my game, which is now uh, officially my longest running campaign ever. <laughs> uh, I think we just did our 17th session nice. uh, yesterday. Yeah, which is a huge milestone for me. Um, but since I am running a mega dungeon, a published mega dungeon, with a, and it comes with a, a mini setting, like a whole world that you uh-huh. can play with, I know everything already, and I didn't make any of it. And I told the players almost nothing at the start other than, like, here is like the situation, and now go get them. <laughs> and I, I gave no lore dump. I gave almost, almost nothing. David, did I give you almost anything? You, you guys gave me like a paragraph, maybe. I, you had which I barely you? read. Yeah, I'll be honest. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I'll be honest. I just I crumple it into a ball and I ate it for sustenance. <laughs> <laughs> and then at least it was worth something. 
uh, no, it. Um, I gave them just the barest of outlines, and I figured if they want to know more, they'll ask more. And so, uh, I guess my point here is that the GM's most powerful weapon is self-control, because yes. having the reliability and the consistency of a game, and that with the same players, they pick up on things in the world that I thought I was pretty subtle about. That they have actually noticed and like made conclusions about, and very often they are correct. Can you give some examples? Uh, since David <laughs> plays in the game, uh, I cannot. Uh, <laughs> that's self-control, folks. Uh, there it is. <laughs> oh, I guess that would be you'd be confirming just like things. Theories, that are... yeah. Right. So right, like yeah. That, that's the thing is that they have lots of ideas and theories, but I'm not going to tell them which ones are correct or incorrect. But they. So they're very self-reliant in this way. And, and that's good. Yes. Because it's like I've taught them, like, you're not going to know for sure, but you like you just can be certain enough to move on. Yeah. And that takes so much self-control oh, for me. Yes. I could have given them a freaking, like, two-page outline of here's all the things you want. Um, and the funny the thing clues. that ha- has happened is that many players have said, like, hey, I want to, like, go and research X, XYZ thing. And then I will just because I'm lazy, I'll just screenshot the pages from the PDF that it's from, and I just text it to them. I'm like, just read it. They're like, I want to learn about all the gods that are like common in the land. I'm like, great. This is already written. I don't need to write it. Here you go. And I, it, Or I could have given them like a 20-page PDF. Here's every single thing you need to know to play, yeah. including all the gods and cities and, and every river and mountain named and at the elevation. No. I just wait until they ask. And then, and then because now they care about the gods, and so now they learn about them. Yes, and True. that order is very important. Um, and oh, that I mean, yeah. Th- I think when I was a, a baby dungeon master, like, yeah, that's all I would do is be like, they go, okay, what is there like a pantheon here? I go, oh boy, there is. <laughs> Let me only introduce you to all one thousand two hundred eighty-seven of them, uh, and the yeah, lesser ones. Of and you know, even to a lesser extent, yeah, even even scenes, right? Like they go. Um, th- they might roll bad on a history check and they might not even look at the wall. And I'll be like, I mean, the wall to your left has an immaculate carving of the goddess mm. Agamoteth um, that is showing her holding out her hand and, and it is a ruby. And it, it's like they didn't even care. They weren't looking. They weren't. And yeah, that's that's the hardest part is withholding knowledge. Um, oh, yeah, because... You've made something and you you feel proud of your creation um, and the storytelling and the plot or whatever. Um, and it's hard to to not give it, – it's hard enough to not reveal it. And it mm-hmm. for me, it's even harder not to reveal my reasoning behind it, you know, because mm-hmm. they listen to me on this podcast. Like I want to be like, yeah, like here's what I was doing this when I made this. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking of the, you when I made this, you know, and that – just every time I do that, it eliminates uh, almost the DM screen itself. And it becomes yeah, this sort of like video game that we're creab- like collaboratively doing. But like that collaboration destroys any sense of mystery or intrigue at all. I have two specific examples and one is more specific than the next. Um, uh, multiple times because it's a mega dungeon. So they're obviously in a dungeon quite a lot at the time. Um, the players have been like one room away, one skinny door away oh my gosh, from yeah. like just I the just, coolest stuff. This makes and they, tr- and they go the wrong way. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Oh, I wish you could see my face right now, Jake. Of just like uh, frozen yeah. shock and then uh, acceptance. No, of... see, I, oh. I in my old campaign, the old me, <laughs> which probably still me, but like, <laughs> would have been like, oh, you, um, your god tells you to look north. <laughs> like I don't know. I would just be like. Yeah, letting you smell that gold go. coming from the cracks in the door. <laughs> you smell gold. No, yeah, that's. I want to really avoid, um, you know, the ways that I would reveal that um, in my next campaign. I want to let them walk away from stuff. Yeah, and that's God. That's so hard to do, especially because you like you know sometimes tailor made uh, magic items in a secret room that they just pass by. Oh. Like, oh. nope, that doesn't kill me inside at all. Uh, my, my next specific example is um, in the game. They recently they had gone away from the dungeon and because they found a, a ruined elven city, mm-hmm. and they were they had explored it like last week. And, and it takes a week of travel to get back. And so because the game runs in real time, um, we've kind of fast like fast traveled narratively traveled on the cam- on the day they had actually played. But then the week that they waited, they were traveling essentially in real time every day back to the city. So that way, by the time we played again, they would be back to where they started. And mm. so I rolled my random encounters, and um, I got a few of them. And I I rolled them out completely, like I, I created them. And they're really good. And I laid them out for the players, and they're like, nope, moving on. And I'm like, that's fine, because well... th- these things will still be here, like when they get oh, back. Oh, yeah, they don't, li- yeah. It doesn't have to leave. They don't disappear. Like, it's still there for them. And so just yeah. having that confidence of, like, my work will not be wasted. And the players will, they will meet many mysteries in this world. But I know they won't discover every mystery. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, okay, in, in regards to one of the mysteries, like, my character is already planning to go back to one of them at oh. a future point. It just, it just takes time. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, it's definitely not, like... I haven't forgot about it in my head as a player, like in his game. So like, if you if you're like, oh, that's like dumb. That that like they're definitely forget gonna forget about things that I set up. Like, your players remember a lot more than you probably think. Exactly. So exactly, and and like I was saying before, they remember things that I have forgotten that I said, and like, um, yeah, like here's a, actually a text message where you said it. I can show you what you said. I'm like, oh, this must be what it's like to be a politician. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Vox Political. <laughs> Vox Politicana. Vox Politicana. So we've talked a lot about world building in this episode, but um, to bring it down to a more personal level, you can always have mysterious characters. And sometimes a mysterious character is the most compelling part of a game because the players can interact with them and ask them questions. And like, you know, I shot him with bullets and yet, and I saw him die and yet here he is like as good as new. Um so some examples of this from pop culture, just to get your little GM gears grinding. Uh, the first one that I thought of is uh, the G-Man from the Half-Life series. Mm. So at this point, the Half-Life series is so old. Some of our listeners are probably too young Dude, to Half-Life remember. 3 is coming out this year. That's false. <laughs> There's a VR game that like nobody's going to play is going to come out this year. Yeah, so the G-Man is a character who, um, so far, it's still never been explained. The first Half-Life came out in 1998, which is, I guarantee, um, older than some of our listeners. And all he did is he is a... Um, the premise of Half-Life is that there's like a 
science lab and they, they make portals to alien planets and then the aliens kind of invade Earth and it's a big problem. But throughout the game, if you look in the right place, it's a first-person shooter game, you'll see a, a businessman dressed in a blue suit with a briefcase. And he's just like always up high on a balcony something somewhere and he just looks at you and then he walks away. Oh, That's your only interaction with him. Yeah. It's like you see him and then he leaves like out of the corner of your eye. And he's in many places in the game that like you have to actually be looking for him to find him. Like, where's Waldo? Um, to this day, never really explained. But that's a very mysterious character, very intriguing idea of like, who the heck is this guy? What does he have to do with an alien invasion? Like, was this a conspiracy thing? Uh, it should be noted that J.J. Abrams later stole this idea for uh, his television show, Fringe. And he, uh, he, I think he answered the, the question in a decent way. With these creatures or these these people called the observers who do essentially the same thing, huh? Yeah, I, I'm thinking of uh, Red Dead Redemption and the mysterious stranger mm. who oh, yeah. um, just the man immaculately dressed in a top hat in the middle of the desert. Hey, there's a beautiful spot. Sure. What are you doing here? My accounts. I'm an accountant. Is that so? In a way. Um, and even the developers to this day. Um, will not say, like, is he God? Is he the devil? Is he an angel? Is he death itself? And you just don't know. And it's, oh, it is one of my favorite parts of that whole franchise. Um, yeah, and I love that idea where there is officially no answer from the developer about who this person is. Because no. I know there's all kinds of fan theories about the mysterious stranger in Red Dead, about him being Satan or um, some other, like, folkloric hero. And the not knowing and making people crazy, um, it creates conversation. And um, it's almost like you're telling yourself a story now. Yes. Yes. That is, I think, the key of it. I mean, I mean, even in the the, the new one, Red, Red Dead 2, um, where it's a prequel, like they have allusions to him. And there's um, uh, a shopkeeper that has his picture in his shop. What? Um, and then if you get 100% completion and go to a uh, small shack in the middle of the swamp, if you look in the mirror, you will see him in the corner. Oh. And that's that's, that's all. Like, the, that's the, the there's only, no... How do they... That's all. They, that, like, they could have done, like, oh, Mister, Mysterious Stranger 2. Like, you know, they could have gone all in and been like, oh, I, I'm actually an angel or I'm actually the devil. or You know, they could... But the devs... They knew it was a mystery, and they they kept the mystery. They didn't even in a second edition. They did not answer the question, and yet yeah, suddenly you're telling yourself a story about what this what this thing is, and generating oh. scores of YouTube videos of people trying to figure out trying to figure out the mystery. Character. Yeah, actual mystery man confirmed. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. Oh man. Subscribe now for more. <laughs> uh, and isn't that interesting that an unanswered question generates many more answers than an answered question? So like the G-Man or the Mysterious Stranger or the Smoking Man from the X-Files. Like mm. People talk about them because we don't know. And it's actually pretty interesting and fun to, to think about. Yeah, it. I think a lot, of, a lot of the best characters are characters who are just, they're not... It's it's show don't tell. Like you show mm -hmm. who they are and you don't tell them. Like oh, this is the lost king of Atlantis two, whose <laughs> dad was actually a sea Atlantis lich. Two. <laughs> sea lich. <laughs> <laughs> but but like so like some of my favorite mysterious characters are like uh, 
uh, and this is specific to Game of Thrones, so it would be like Oberyn Martell mm-hmm. or the Red Woman. Very uh, mysterious, interesting characters who mm-hmm. like the uh, like the way they're introduced is very uh, interesting, mm-hmm. and then the way that um, they continue to interact with the world is is not really just exposition dumping, but it's just like they're doing interesting things within the world and kind of expositing information that way. Huh? Yeah. Very good, man. Now I want to watch some videos about mysterious stranger, dude, and oh. about Oberyn Martell and the Red Woman. Oh. Let's talk mysteries, gang. So I think mysteries uh, form a core um, part of a lot of plot hooks. You know, it's like what happens, um, like who poisoned the well or um, what happened to the high elves? You know, like th- a bunch of parts of D&D. Have you um, heard of the high elves? <laughs> yeah, I want to add, have you heard of the high elves? No, um... Yes, yeah, so, but the mysteries form a core plot of a lot of plot hooks, you know, like who kidnapped my brother? Um, what? How, why did I show up to the city and no one's there? Um, those are really interesting parts of plot hooks. Um, and, and inserting mysteries even into mundane plot hooks can be a really good way um, to not, not satisfy the player, but make the player... Uh, or, you know, the party want to dig deeper, want to explore more, and want to find out what happened. That's literally what a hook is. Yeah. That's true. I feel like any basic um, goal starts with a mystery of, like, who kidnapped the Miller's son? And, um, man, yeah. a lot of the plot hooks we developed start with, like, a mission and maybe some unknown factor. Yeah. Definitely. And there are, um, I think, a board games um, are more likely, like... The red team must be destroyed, right? Like, that's not really a role-playing type thing, right? But if mm-hmm. you're playing a role-playing game, um, it'll be like, yeah, what happened to the uh, the captain's daughter? You know, like, that's that's a actual role-playing thing that can have a multitude of solutions. And there isn't an obvious target to go attack or do something with. Uh, another element of mystery is that... Uh... It needs to be, the information needs to be given, like, within the world. So you need to have characters, uh, like, delivering. Instead of, um, like, just saying, uh, these orphan boys have gone missing. Like, you have a character come up and say, hey, have you seen my kids? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know where they are. Right, and that's yeah. another uh, yeah. show. Yeah, making it more personal, <laughs> real. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I forgot the other part I was going to say. Um there was a podcast I listened to where there was a GM who ran a, uh, it was Call of Cthulhu, which is a mystery game, and everyone should definitely, play Definitely, definitely. Uh, but they were traveling across the Atlantic on a, a boat, and there was a murder. And so they ran a murder mystery on the boat, and all the, the suspects were very interesting, and it's, it takes place like in the 20s or whatever. And um, for this particular game, he didn't know who the killer was and he just listened to what the players did and their evidence and their their suspicions and things and they narrowed it down to like this uh russian czar loyalist oh <laughs> yes because um, they had rationalized it enough yeah and um he wound up the being... romanovs did nothing wrong <laughs> make russia great again uh <laughs> Oh, there's the line, David. Oh. <laughs> um, but no, it's just an interesting thing of like presenting information in such a way that um, the players make their own 
conclusions and, and building on that. Because we talked about like leaving gaps in your world building, but you could leave gaps in in your mysteries. And so maybe there's parts that you don't know, like yeah. motivating factors behind quests you don't know. I think yeah. uh, even just like the next level of that, of not just saying like leaving things undefined is giving players imperfect information within the world. I love that. So yeah. like rumors or uh, just having, you know, slightly wrong information like, uh, yeah, like a flaming dragon attacked this town and it was really, you know, it was raided by another city. And that's just a rumor that's been spread from yeah, another region. That's something that, yeah, I think that they've tried to hint at in some of the 5e uh, modules, like rumors that are false. Um, but, you know, are plot hooks in and of themselves that will accidentally get the players in dangerous situations. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. using those are fantastic. Mm-hmm. What other types of mysteries are there, Jake? So so for me, I'm thinking of, like, if I want to insert mystery into a game, there's a lot of types of environments that are just prone to mystery and intrigue and politics. Um, so I think going to watch, um, you know, gladiators in an arena, um, but doing so with... Uh, maybe people that you're betting against or maybe uh with the mayor of the town stuff like that obviously stuff like dinner parties um are just ripe for intrigue and politics and all sorts of mysteries um places like casinos you know um contests of all sorts like going to watch a joust or something um yeah, like big events where yeah events. it seems like there are things that are going on mm-hmm. under the surface yeah, yeah what sure. yeah definitely you want um a lot of uh, high-powered people or like uh, high-class um, people that are you know quite wealthy um, people who know lots of things in the same place at the same time um, that's why oh especially at yeah, dinner parties and stuff like that attending events can can lead to all sorts of stuff naturally because um, it's much harder to to have mystery and intrigue when your your players are sitting around a campfire that's true. Um, you have to have, you know, power dynamics. You have to have um, – it helps to be in an urban area. It helps to have um, many different uh, very powerful NPCs that want different things. Um, that can lead to mystery and intrigue a lot better. And I think like wow. like with mystery, you need to have like – there's like two components where it's like things um, – there, there's more than just what's on the surface. So – there's like there's the iceberg effect where you need to have like things going on like beneath like what's actually happening. Yes. Or yes. you need to have things that are just out of place, mm-hmm. like yeah. an iceberg in the middle of the desert, like or a well dressed man, or a well dressed yeah. man in a top hat, <laughs> things like that. So you need to have things that kind of stick out and grab your character's attention. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I like the idea of the. Um, there's a board game. I would love to play it. It's called Spartacus, based on the TV show. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I want to play that yep. one. Yep. And the idea is you, you're you playing as these powerful, like, uh, yeah, ancient, is it Roman? Yeah, Roman houses. And you all are, like, uh, payrolling your gladiator to go win all these bets. Um, and then there, there's part of the game where you, you actually just control the gladiators and you have little fights and they you know, kill each other. <laughs> And there's like a big arena, and so like that as a D and D, like maybe a session or two or three, like a mini series essentially of like wheeling and dealing and trying to place bets and find mystery or try to solve mysteries and like maybe there's a murder. Like it's such a cool environment. It is ripe for mysteries. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, and also blood, <laughs> blood. lots of blood and, and sick. Sand. 
Okay, so um, one thing that's important for Dungeon Masters who are wanting to insert mystery, intrigue, all that stuff, um, is you want to have stuff that is revealed slowly, let the players explore, let them struggle a bit, um, but there is going to come a time where the players get stuck and they they don't know what the next step is they don't know what the next clue is um, they don't know who the culprit is whatever that is um it's very important to have important clues to whatever mystery um or plot that's unraveling um you don't want to have huge clues that are uh basically a bottleneck um that uh or like di these difficult clues that kind of bottleneck the mystery where they can only get past it with this one thing um those type of difficult clues will if the players stumble there's no way past we've talked about this with puzzles with riddles where you know a lot of times with combat and stuff there's creative ways to get around it. there's multiple ways you can sneak past them you can kill them in combat you can negotiate with them whatever but when there's a, a puzzle or a, a riddle if you don't get it right that's it. Like, there's no... So you never want to hide the most important clue behind a difficult skill check, right? Because then if mm -hmm. your your best investigator character rolls a nat one, you don't want to just say, all right, game over. <laughs> right? You, you want to have multiple ways uh, of finding a clue. Um, and you want to have fail-safes, right? Like, if they can't find a clue, maybe their, their bumbling NPC happens to knock it down. Um, and, you know, suddenly it reveals that, oh, the dagger was actually in the fireplace. Um, and as corny and dumb as that sounds, it's better than your players squandering and just, you know, walking around in the same room for the next four hours. Yeah. Um, right? Like, you, you, you have to have fail-safes for your most important clues in order to reveal them. Don't bottleneck them behind hard skill checks. It's funny that you say, like, the... Uh... The point you're making, you don't just have one single source of failure, because uh, this is the exact advice given by a game called Gumshoe. I think it's a generic oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. play system, but it's for mysteries, and they have all these techniques for like here is how you would run an investigation so players can't get stuck, they can't break the game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I haven't read that, but I've I've heard it's good for running mysteries and also Call of Cthulhu or any of the oh uh, definitely yeah. type games you're investigating and they have all kinds of systems that support that type of gameplay so find ways to tie them into your 5e game definitely definitely yeah because you don't want uh, yeah there, there's that whole joke of in, especially in 5e if you're you know trying to insert mystery in there like yeah a nat one should not ruin your mystery like or even don't... a less exciting uh a nat three or four like <laughs> you just you rolled slightly yeah. too low and don't... now your yeah. game is ruined yeah, a lot of I think maybe Gumshoe. I was I was looking up like um, mystery systems, um, and most of them just have like if you check the drawer, you'll get the clue. And the yeah. game is not finding the clue; the game is interpreting the clue. I see. Um, and that makes it a lot better, I think. Instead of like, oh, you open the drawer and you search the stack of papers, but you, you didn't fail to notice. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, no one yeah. speaks Russian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, so speaking of mysteries, we also have player-centered mysteries. Yes. Um, I've uh, tried and I believe I failed on all counts of when players wanted to have secret backstories. Um, one of them was very early on in my D&D career where one of my players, um, he was a con man. It was like a zombie apocalypse game. And he loved the character Nick from 
Left 4 Dead 2, who is just oh. like a confidence man. Yeah. Who gets stuck with this group of people and he's like <laughs> in a white suit and he's not not cut out for this. Um, <laughs> but we only played one game. It was like a one-off. And so his mystery never had a chance to pay off because he had planned it to be long-term and yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, people, when they hear secrets and backstories, they always go to the worst case scenario of like, oh, I'm this lawful good paladin, but actually I'm chaotic evil, you know? And it's like, it doesn't have to be that, right? Like, it could just be part of your backstory um, that you reveal later um, and and that you reveal slowly and that the mystery uh, might connect to another player's backstory or um, the intrigue that you have. You might be, oh, remember this this politician that we're thinking about? You know, we're debating assassinating. Yeah, that's my uncle. You know, like like that oh. sort of thing coming out is, is delightful. It's super, super fun to have. Um, an- another easy one is um, something bad happens to the party. Um, and you find out later that one player in the party knew the whole time. Like they mm-hmm. knew that surprise was coming. They knew um, that, that the player you're interacting with like was secretly evil or something. Um, and that's that's a great reveal as well. Um, so the secrets in your backstories don't have to be this like grand, oh, I'm actually the villain of the campaign, you know? Like they can be very subtle. They can be very simple Um and, and slowly reveal the mystery of your arc. Because it's way better to have someone, a fighter you've been with for the past two years, reveal how his family died, finally, than it is for on the first session for him to be like, yeah, my dad was slain in an orc raid and I'm just, I'm trying to avenge him. You know, <laughs> like there's, there's, I don't know, there's a certain weight that comes with revealing it uh, later that's really great. Right, like in your example of this guy whose dad was killed by orcs, you, um... He doesn't tell anyone until they have an orc ally. Yes. And then he, and he like loses trust it. Him. And, or he just kills him or like, you know, yeah. sets it up. So he, he got pushed off a cliff. Oops. Oops. Like, why did you do that? Uh, you know. Yes. It's more interesting than just yes. saying, oh. rattling off. Yes. I heard the example of um, in Harry Potter, Neville Longbottom. Who is revealed as like this just, you know, nerdy loser who just, um, yes, spoilers for uh, a several decades old children's book. But, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, but Neville is like this very sniveling, sad, kind of pathetic loser of a kid, especially early (laughs) on. Say Um, some more things. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb, stupid, ugly. Um, (laughs) No, um, no friends. No family, pallid. No, 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 but but it's revealed later on that like what happened to his parents of them being like tortured and killed, mm-hmm. and like he, that then it recontextualizes all of those things you thought about him earlier, mm-hmm. um, and it makes you go, oh, I get it now. Like I get what he's struggling against. I get why he, you know, is is still here despite all the yeah. And and so there's there's a lot to work with. Because that's revealed later, like that, it's so much better. Because it it wouldn't if it was revealed. Oh, this is Neville. His parents were tortured and killed by Dementors, you know, years ago. Like that, oh. that you would be like, okay, that ruins it. Yeah, it completely ruins it. You're like, what's a Dementor? I guess I feel bad for him, but like it, no, it doesn't hit as hard until you think he's a loser, and then you see why. Like that, that weight, I mean, this is the same thing that, that we were talking about earlier with revealing secrets as a dungeon master in your world building is that 
it feels like a short-term great thing to be like, oh, yes, and these were, you know, the uh, this crazy, you know, moon temple was fighting against the sea serpent or whatever. Um, and your player's like, okay, I guess, but we've never been there. What the? <laughs> but it's way better if, if they go there, they figure out the secret, and then suddenly the serpent shows up out of the sea and they're like, oh, we get it now. Like th- that reveal later on, it, it's like a long-term versus short-term dopamine rush. And that's that's the hard part of like resisting that um, for dungeon masters and players. And that took tremendous patience from J.K. Rowling yes. to not reveal that secret any earlier than the last book that yeah. took her a decade to write. Yeah, like that's tremendous, and her her patience paid off. Yes, for us. Yeah, we're talking about a decades-old children's book on a D and D podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I mean, yeah. And, and so uh, that's for players and Dungeon Masters alike. Like, there are things you reveal um, and holding on to those secrets um, as much as they burn in your hand like a coal, like revealing them later will be so much more satisfying. Well, so let me build on my patient DM and just say patient players also will be rewarded. Um, because if, if a player bursts into the scene, they're like, hey, look, my name's Neville Longbottom. My parents were tortured by Dementors to death and I'm all a sad, wimpy kid now. Like... You just, like, why even bother him with that backstory now compared to the yeah. way he could have and that yeah, the gravitas? It's, it's, it's like if your arc is revealed, it's such a pathetic arc. Like, it's mm-hmm. such a, it's like tossing a stone a few feet when if you waited, like, it would be rocket propelled into the stratosphere when people are like, wait, what? You know, when you reveal that later. Hmm. Well, I mean, that wasn't the only reveal about Neville. Oh, definitely. No, I'm talking in general with like yes. backstories, secrets, um, especially family stuff, like revealing who you are. And oh, yeah. Hmm. I love those campfire moments more than anything. Another type of player held secret is um, passing notes or text messaging, I find also works very well. Um, one that I recently used was there was one of our players, uh, very, uh, I would say he is abnormally intelligent. Um, and he was questioning someone, and partway through the negotiation, he was charmed. And so everybody follows oh, his lead. Yes. And, all of, and so I just texted him, like, hey, like, you, you've you been charmed. You now fully I think trust I was this there person. for that session. I, I, actually, you were. That was yes. Tim Kohler. And right? I was like, no, this guy is nailing it. What in the. Why <laughs> and is then, he like, switching? And he just subtly shifted his tune to oh. be like, oh, we, we, I trust this guy, and everything he wants, we should do. And everybody was like, okay, I guess we're just going to go with it. And nobody knew um, until later, like after the scene was over. He's like, yeah, I was charmed. Oh, yes. Those are the best moments. I, one of my favorite uh, moments ever in D&D is replacing a character with the doppelganger. Um, and you you just tell them, like, act strange. And it is the most fantastic thing to sit there you know behind the screen watching everyone freak out they're like what is wrong with you and he's just like i'm just trying my best you know like (laughs) (laughs) just staring blankly at a wall for hour 19 so good and then like when the players finally um you know get into the the evil fiend's lair and they see their friend help like you know tied up and like wait wait no (laughs) backstab yes that that is those are some of the best moments ever um and so that kind of collaboration that kind of secrets um even if they're not anything right like just um 
Matt Mercer in uh, Critical Role does this, you know, even though there's tens of thousands of people watching live on stream, um, when someone rolls a super high insight check, he will literally stand up and go whisper in their ear what they get from that insight check. Mm. Um, you know, and, and Sam Regal will be like, you know, we'll do an ad read or something just to cover up, you know, kind of the, the dead <laughs> air. But that intrigue is so interesting. She's like, what did they get from that? You know, it's like, what this guy rolled a 29 insight. Like he clearly got so much stuff and we don't get it. Even though we're the audience, we should be allowed to see, you know, we get to hear the table talk. We get to hear everything, but even that is hidden from us. Um, and that just adds to it so much, like adding just layers and layers of intrigue. Oh. Um, so I just have a, a, a little comment on sort of, um, I guess the quantity of mysteries you should have in your campaign. I'm calling this segment sprinkle or dunk. <laughs> uh, as in, you can sprinkle little bits of intrigue and mystery throughout your campaign as much as you desire. But I think there is such a thing as too much mystery where there is no known factors in your universe. You like, have a shadow orphan universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's that mountain called? Oh, we don't even know. What's oh. this town called? Oh, we can't tell you. Like, oh. what's your name? Uh, I don't know you. Oh, it's very much covering up for, like, a drunk dungeon master or a dungeon master who is not prepared at all. And also unwilling to just, like, make it up. Yeah, unwilling to improvise. It's like oh, the man. toxic mystery box. The Definitely. Toxic mystery. I mean, yeah, no, this is the problem with, like, you know, the season finale of Lost or whatever. With, Ooh. you know, when, when, hey, eventually we have to, like, even crack open the mystery box. Exactly. But you if you answer something. Yeah, if you refuse to let anyone even look inside for a second, that's when red flags come up. Yeah. And, mm. and so, yeah, I think sprinkling bits is is important. And I think we've talked about it. Um, sprinkling bits everywhere uh, is important. But, yeah, not to dunk your whole campaign in a almost like a failsafe attempt to like cover up your <laughs> your uh you know just not being prepared. lack of preparation yeah. yeah absolutely any closing thoughts any uh thing you want to remind our listeners of i'd like to remind myself as i am uh creating a new world like this is so essential for me to be able to to let my players and i i know they'll be down for this like i'm making up this whole idea that they want they don't want a wikipedia article um like i'm i'm very excited to uh to create a world without explaining everything from the get-go and especially not explaining my decision making behind decisions even after uh after things i do Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 61. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. Follow us on social media for Twitter memes and deep thoughts, which is operated by Jake. Follow us at Vox Arcana Pod. <laughs> on Facebook, we are at Vox Arcana Podcast, and Instagram is also at Vox Arcana Podcast. Please email your questions and feedback to Vox Arcana Podcast at gmail.com. We might read your email on the show. We'll see you next time.